This podcast is part of the OIW Podcasting Network. It's essentially the same unappreciative crowd full of scumbags from last night. Wrestling fans, and welcome to another edition of the Scumbags Wrestling Podcast. This is episode number 103. Normally, we launch on Sunday afternoons, but unfortunately, I noticed there was a technical error and it didn't upload properly or even save. So, I'm recording this 6 a.m. on Monday morning. So, wherever you're listening to this, whether it's on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, or iTunes, or anywhere else that you get your podcast from, thank you so much for joining us. Still, we're under coronavirus restrictions, and unfortunately, there isn't any news coming out of the Ontario wrestling scene. So when we return, we'll run down the results of night number two for Impact pay-per-view that wasn't Rebellion, and look at AEW. And the crazy world of WD leading into Money in the Bank. See the stars of tomorrow being built today at the Tyson Dukes Russell Factory each week on the production line. Available on Facebook and YouTube. Hello, do you or someone you know have a business that you'd love to have advertised here on our podcast? Well, give me a shout at our email address, scumbagswrestling at gmail.com, and let us know how we can help you advertise to the listeners of this podcast. We'll give your business a shout out, including information on how people can reach out to you and information on your services. Yo, this is Tarek. You're listening to Scumbags of Wrestling. Punch, kick, chop, done. Looking at Impact Wrestling's night number two of Rebellion that happened this past Tuesday night on Access, Twitch, and Fight Network. It happened from Skyway Studios in Nashville, Tennessee. The, probably the best match of the night was right off the bat with Chris Bay winning a Fatal 4-Way match which featured Rohit Raju. Suicide, and Trey. Then Joseph P. Ryan, or as most people know him as Joey Ryan, defeated Cousin Jake. Rosemary beat Havoc in a Full Metal Mayhem match. And Michael Elgin came out, and he said that he should be crowned the Impact World Champion due to Tessa Blanchard not being there, and neither was Eddie Edwards, and they were supposed to be in a three-way match for the Impact Wrestling Championship. Out came Moose with the old TNA World Championship and declared that he was the new champion and was going to defend it 
against Michael Elgin. Hernandez ended up coming out to be a part of that match. So we had a three-way match for the, I guess, the TNA championship. Moose ended up picking up the victory and continued to declare himself as world champion. But Impact has yet to make an official statement to back up his claims. So I guess until Tessa can make her way to a show, we're going to have Moose claiming that he's the actual champion and they'll end up seeing Moose and Tessa going against each other as we're probably going to see with NXT with Jordan Devlin and whoever comes out of the tournament that they're currently running as two champions against each other. So this could be the way that they end up getting the belts off of or the belt off of Tessa Blanchard but we'll have to wait and see as far as other wrestling news there's been a new game being uh, made that both Cody Deaner and Ken Shamrock are a part of and there's probably I think a few more independent or impact stars going to be a part of it as well and just waiting on more news as things get developed but there's going to be another wrestling video game coming out and you're going to see some of your favorite impact stars ring of honor stars indie uh promos or any promotion stars so yeah look out for that taking a look at news from aew it looks like they're going to be returning to jacksonville florida at dally's place to begin recording more episodes leading into the double or nothing pay-per-view expected to happen on may 23rd now when that happens be interested to see what happens with the current news that ron desantis the governor of florida allowing audience members to start coming to these type of shows Will AEW take advantage? How many will they allow in to be in the crowd that are not contracted to AEW for that night? It's a crazy time. We'll have to see what happens. Then, in the latest edition of Being the Elite, there was a tease at the end about the heavily expected arrival of the revolt or uh, formerly known as the Revival, making their way to AEW when the letters FTR were seen in the clouds. It's not sure who they're going to go with, like, I meaning as in a tag team main, because there's a lot of resistance to using the Revolt name, as there's a couple of tag teams that are using that. So once they get all the copyright issues solved, they'll be able to go with whatever name they finally are able to settle with. I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see them show up at Double or Nothing. And just, I know I personally just use them as scouting to checking out what the Young Bucks are doing and just, you know, be a presence, a distraction and not get physical yet. Double or Nothing should be being built up very big this uh, next couple weeks, as they only have one official match announced for the show, and that's the finals of the TNT title 
uh, tournament with Cody facing off against Lance Archer. They have a chance of advancing things this week on AEW as there's been an announcement of the return of MJF from his horrific injuries. John Moxley is going to take on Frankie Kazarian, and there's going to be a street fight with Kenny Omega and Matt Hardy teaming to against the Sex Gods, Chris Jericho, and Sammy Guevara. Looking at the current AEW rankings as of April 29th, and the tag team side of things, at number 5, the Lucha Brothers with a 1-2 record. At number 4, SCU, sitting at 2 wins and 3 losses. Number 3, with a even 500, 2 wins, 2 losses, are the Young Bucks. At number 2, the Best Friends, with a 5-3 and three record. At number 1, with a perfect 5-0, and oh, is the Dark Order. Your tag team champions are Kenny Omega and Hangman Page, sitting at a perfect 6-0 and record. On the women's side, at number 5, with a 3-3, three and three, is Rio. At number 4, also with 3-3, three and three, is Dr. Britt Baker. At number 3, with a 1-1 one one record, Yuka Sakasaki. Number 2, Chris Stantlander, having a 2-3 and three record. And number 1, with a 7 wins, 1 loss, Hikaru Shida. Your current women's champion is the Rose with a 4-1 record. And finally, the men's rankings has at number 5 with a 4 wins, 1 loss record, Jake Hager. With a perfect 3-0, at number 4 is the murder hawk, Lance Archer. At number 3, 5-2 record is Darby Allen. At number 2 with a perfect 4-0 record is Kenny Omega. And number one, with a seven wins, one loss, Cody, your current champion, with a perfect 9-0 and record, John Moxley. And those are your rankings for the AEW as of April 29th. Looking at the results from this past week's Dynamite on April 29th, they're still at QT Marshall's facility in Georgia, and it was hosted by Chris Jericho and Tony Schiavone which seems to be the best combination that they've had since doing any other commentary, to be honest. They announced that it's going to be a double main event with both semifinal matches of the tournament happening, and we started off immediately with Cody taking on Darby Allen, with the winner advancing to the finals. Started off with Darby Allen working over Cody's knee throughout the match, Sean Spears was causing a distraction on the outside, and Darby accidentally bumped into Brandy, taking her out of the match when Cody got out of the way from a charging Darby Allen. Billy Gunn ended up taking Brandy to the back, and this just angered Cody uh, some more, and he got more intense into the match and tried to use a lot of submissions to tap Darby Allen out. Allen hit a code red on Cody for just a two count, and he went back uh, to work on Cody's leg. With the referee distracted, Dr. Brick Baker had hit Cody with her shoe, and Cody was able to come back with a disaster kick, then took off his uh, weightlifting belt and was about to use it to whip Darby Allen, but then decided to just hand it over to Aubrey Edwards instead in a show of good sportsmanship. 
Darby then hit Cody with uh, Cody's own uh, finishing maneuver at Crossroads, but it only got a two count. The match ramped up when Brandy returned with a water bottle and gave it to Cody. Cody had taken a drink ready to spit in Darby Allen's face, but Darby took the bottle and hit Cody in the face with it. Allen then went for a coffin drop, but was caught by Cody with a ripcord clothesline. Darby counted with a stunner. Cody hit a crossroads of his own, and all this just resulted in a bunch of two counts. Cody went for a coffin drop of his own, but that was countered with knees to his back or lumbar region by Darby. Darby then got up to the top rope and went for his own coffin drop, and Cody was able to move his shoulders and roll up Darby, getting the pin on him and moving on to the finals of the TNT tournament. After that match, we saw a video from Scorpio Sky documenting his journey so far. He finished by saying, I'm never satisfied. I don't want to be good. I don't want to even be great. I want to be a legend. Then there was a video from MJF, and he states that he's coming back after his miracle recovery from his hangnail and even survived a nick on his neck while shaving, which could have bled out and we could have seen the end of MJF. But he had his neck brace on, he was ready, prepared, He's healed, and he's coming back to AEW, and he wants the AEW championship. Wardlow then destroyed a guy named uh, Musa. There was another Bubbly Bunch uh, video that featured the Manitoba Melee. It had a lot of cameos in the video, including the Inner Circle, but it also had Ted Irvine, Lou Fabregno, Kevin Smith, Jason Mewes, Jungle Boy, Virgil, and it ended with Vicky Guerrero screaming, Are you serious? Before Chris Jericho stopped it all. So, a little bit of an entertaining bubbly bunch. And uh, definitely going with the current media uh, videos where people are hitting the camera and the next thing are reacting and it's somebody else. It was one of those viral videos, uh, just the same. So, nice to see some of the cameos, and if what's true, or been said is true, that Vicky Guerrero is not welcome with WD because she's done AEW stuff, at least AEW is going to be able to use her. Then there was a no-DQ match uh, featuring the best friends, along with Orange Cassidy, beating Kip Sabian and Jimmy Havoc, who had Penelope Ford by their side. There was tables used, chairs used, yeah, just... Unfortunately, not really lackluster in that, uh, especially in this environment, but the best friends picked up the victory. Then there was a video from Dr. Britt Baker at her dental office. Her picture is plastered all over the wall. They had Rebel there who wrestles with Impact, but is actually the makeup artist for AEW, and she was uh, doing the makeup for Britt Baker during this and getting some testimonials, which were trying to be coached by Britt as she was peeking in to make sure everything was said properly. Then we got a chart from Britt on how to be a role model and basically made fun of Tony Schiavone and his look, including his belly and his crooked teeth. 
Sean Spears defeated Baron Black. The Exalted One, Brody Lee, basically destroyed Marco Stunt, even though Stunt tried to fight valiantly, but the rest of his crew with with Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus were not around, so he was definitely overmatched against Brody Lee. Then we saw a video from AEW champ John Moxley. He said he's coming next week and warned people to stay safe, but also call your grandmother. The main event of the evening saw the final match, uh, semifinal match in the TNT uh, title tournament, and that was the murder hawk Lance Archer taking on the natural Dustin Rhodes. The winner of this match would be facing Cody at double or nothing. Brandy was out with Dustin to support him in this match, and Archer showed dominance and no-sold Dustin early uh, in the match to start off. On the outside, uh, each of them tried to use a steel chair, but were blocking each other each time until Archer kicked the chair into Dustin's face and busted him open. Archer then took over the match, battering Dustin from pillar to post as Dustin bled all over the ring. Dustin had a brief comeback hitting Archer with Shattered Dreams, but it was not enough to keep Archer down. Not even the Code Red Canadian Destroyer or Crossroads could finish off Archer. Archer then uh, countered with a Power Slam and a Choke Slam, getting a two count of his own. Archer took the corner pad off the turnbuckle and repeatedly rammed Dustin's face into it. KT Marshall came out to throw in the towel for Dustin, but was stopped by Cody, and Cody was about to throw in the towel, but Dustin uh, made Cody promise he wouldn't do it. It looked a lot like Rocky IV at this point. And then Dustin got pulled back into the ring, away from Cody, and was beaten some more with his head into the mat and with his head palmed while uh, bouncing Dustin's head off. He ended up, Lance Archer ended up scaring, uh, scoring a victory over Dustin, advancing to the finals to face off against Cody. And that's was how the show ended this week. <laughs> If you're looking for a great independent wrestling happening in our province of Ontario, look no further than Ontario Indie Road Trip. It's available on Facebook and YouTube, and we run down all the great events happening in this province. Whether you get in a car, bus, or train, there's a show near you. Support independent wrestling and the Ontario Indie Road Trip. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Brent Money Banks, and you are listening to Scumbags of Wrestling. Scumbags is money. Now let's take a look at some of the news in WWE. There were some more releases this past week, including Kane Velasquez. Kane had a three-year deal, but as we saw, he was only used in a squash match against Brock Lesnar at one of the Crown Jewels. They did have him connected to Rey Mysterio and his son Dominic, but that story went nowhere as well. Prior to coming to WWE, AEW and WWE were in a bidding war to use his services. He obviously chose WWE over AEW, 
and with the way that he was used in WWE, I'm not sure AEW would want to jump that quickly to get his services this time. So it looks like he might have to return to AAA if he plans on wrestling anywhere. Curtis Axel was also one of the superstars listed in releases for this week. Curtis Axel is turning about 41 this year and has been with WWE for 13 years since inducting his dad into the Hall of Fame in Detroit, where he began talks of becoming a wrestler and joining WWE at that time. Now, unfortunately, he was used not maybe the best. He was part of, I think it was season two of NXT when they were doing the competitions, and he went under the name Michael McGillicuddy, which apparently was his mother's maiden name, not just a name used by Beulah. But his best run seemed to have come when he was with Paul Heyman, and he got the Intercontinental title and changed his name to Curtis Axel, but even that was short-lived, and he then started teaming with Bo Dallas in the B-team. Where he goes from here also is questionable because of his age. He might just end up retiring after all. I personally would like to see him, if he does continue, going by Joe Hennig and going to the NWA. That's just my thought, and see how it's used. He could be that third-generation wrestler that he should have been much like Randy Orton. And the last release was more of a layoff, and that goes to Jerry Briscoe. He's 73 years old and has been used as a talent scout, mainly for some of the collegiate wrestlers that WWE has been able to bring in. Now, this doesn't overly come as a surprise to me, since he was being used in that capacity, and a lot of those guys, such as the agents and producers, have been furlonged as well. But he's also, as I said, 73. And Pat Patterson's retired a few times too. So this could just also be a temporary retirement for Jerry Briscoe. And a nice time for him to rest and relax. Then also, not in a released form, but Jesse Billy Ventura released a statement saying that he's looking to join possibly a Green Party or a third party and represent and challenge for the presidency when the election comes up. So it could be interesting going from Donald Trump to Jesse the Body Ventura if the U.S. citizens end up voting that way. There was also two reports of injuries this week, and those injuries pretty much happened when they were recording WrestleMania at the Performance Center. The first one is Jimmy Uso. He has an e-injury that is expected to keep him out of action six to nine months. What that means for his brother Jay is up in the air because the last time one of them got injured, the opposite partner was only used as a commentator or very sparingly in squash matches and didn't really get to do too much. Whether they give Jay a run as a single competitor for the next six to nine months We'll have to wait and see. If not, he's going to get to rest as well, because WD only really likes to use the Usos as the pair. The other injury is Kevin Owens. He's currently dealing with an ankle injury. He's not sure if it was just a uh, bad sprain or a partial fracture. So he's looking to get an x-ray to determine the effort 
or the extent of the injury. And then Owens is also not taking part in the shows currently as he prefers to stay at home and being safe with his family. And I guess it's also a good uh, way of being able to do that. Heal up and pick and choose when you can come back. Plus, with living in Montreal, going back and forth to the United States really isn't recommended right now and possibly even not allowed in his case because it's a job that is not required for him to be able to cross the border and be a part of TV tapings. So we might have to wait for Kevin Owens to return once the pandemic is over. The final bit of news actually affects everybody, whether you're UFC, AEW, or WWE, and that's Florida Governor Ron DeSantis wants to still have WrestleMania in Tampa, Florida, so he's still trying to keep on the good side of WWE and not shut things down. So he also then wants UFC to come uh, to Jacksonville, Florida, which they're going to be doing later on this month, and AEW is on their way back to Jacksonville to resume recordings for new episodes of Dynamite. DeSantis is also open to the idea of all sports being played in the state, plus allowing fans to start attending events in the near future. Hello, what is up everybody? It is Ocho from the Ocho and Ortiz Wrestling Podcast, home to the best kept secret in the wrestling podcasting community, our live podcast from Greektown Wrestling and Union Wrestling. We also discuss a lot of other things, WWE, AEW, every once in a while we throw in New Japan and ROH. Be sure you're checking out our show. We are available on most major podcasts and platforms, especially on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and our main source of uploading is Podbean, ochoandortiz.podbean.com. You can also follow us on social media, at Ocho Wrestling on Twitter, at Ocho and Ortiz on Instagram, or facebook.com slash ochoandortiz. We also do have a YouTube page, so be sure you're checking out our content there. Just search for Ocho and Ortiz in the search bar. Now, let's get you back to your regular programming. Hey, it's Jody Thread, and you're listening to Scumbags Podcast. Taking a quick look at everything that happened last week in WWE leading into Money in the Bank. Monday Night Raw started off with the MVP Lounge. He had the three participants that were representing Raw on the men's side in the lounge, that being Rey Mysterio, Aleister Black, and Apollo Crews, they were interrupted by Zelina Vega, who had Andrade, Austin Theory, and Angel Garza with her. This turned into a tag team match with all six men. The ending of the tag team match saw Apollo Crews pin the United States champion Andrade to pick up the victory for his team. This led to backstage segments where Apollo Crews said that he could beat Andrade anytime, anywhere, and even for the U.S. title. And that match was made for later on in the night, with Apollo challenging Andrade for the United States Championship. All day long on WD.com, they had been hyping up the triple threat match involving the women representing the Raw side of things for the Money in the Bank ladder match, that being Asuka, Nia Jax, and Shayna Baszler, and it turned into just a brawl between the three without the match even starting. In the end, Nia used a ladder to take out both Baszler and Asuka on the outside, 
and then stood tall holding the ladder over top of her head, sort of like a, almost like King Kong Bundy uh, demonstration of dominance over the other two competitors. Bobby Lashley made quick work of Denzel Dejeunet, and he had also had Lana stay in the back and not accompany him to ringside because he said she was too much of a distraction with her beauty. Then members of the Riot Squad once again took on each other as Liv Morgan defeated Ruby Riot. Riot wanted to prove that Liv Morgan's win last week was a fluke, but she came up short again, falling victim to the Obliviation. Actually, that's the Oblivion. And then after the bell, Morgan uh, was interviewed by Byron Saxton, and she made it clear that she has her sights set on the Raw Women's Championship, but she also came off with what somebody, I guess, uh, figures is a millennial-type interview where she's still trying to look for herself and find herself. And, yeah, we'll have to see. Jinder Mahal made his way back to WWE after nearly a year away from the ring, and the modern-day Madarhasha uh, returned and made a major statement, defeating Akira Tozawa with the Colossus. United States champion Andrade defeated Apollo Crews. Crews was hoping to make it two wins in a row on the same night and take the title away from Andrade, but that didn't happen. After the match, Andrade and company ended up attacking Apollo Crews' knee, and it's been injured so much that he is now out of the Money in the Bank ladder match. In a really quick uh, tag team match, Ricochet and Cedric Alexander continued to show great combination together, and they defeated the team of Everrise, who are from NXT. Ricochet and Alexander continued to show why they're a team to be reckoned with, but following their win over Chase Parker and Matt Martell, MVP issued a challenge on behalf of Shane Thorne and Brandon Vink. Um, it looks like MVP's trying to build a stable and using Thorne and uh, Vink as his first guys and trying to go after uh, Ricochet and Cedric Alexander. Who knows what this is going to go to. Maybe MVP's going to get a whole bunch of different tag teams uh, to eventually take out Alexander and Ricochet. And once he finally gets that team that does take them out, He's going to manage them. So this could be a journey for MVP building his uh, stable. But yeah, that's what's going to happen later on tonight on Monday Night Raw. The final segment of the evening was a contract signing between Drew McIntyre and Seth Rollins for their match at Money in the Bank. And Jerry Lawler was moderating it, but as soon as McIntyre came out, he warned Jerry what usually happens at contract signings, and Jerry took that to note and got out of uh, the ring quickly. The two men faced each other and talked about the match, and that Seth wants to have the title because the title is too much of a burden for Drew McIntyre to carry, and he's willing to carry that burden. And after the contract was signed, instead of Seth Rollins making the first move, it was actually McIntyre who made the first move, slamming Rollins' face onto the table. He tossed all the furniture out of the ring, went for a Claymore kick, 
but he was stopped by Buddy Murphy, or Murphy, and then they started going after McIntyre after they hugged, but McIntyre only hit Murphy with the Claymore, and Seth was able to get out of the way in time, and that's how things ended, going out of Monday Night Raw. Over on NXT this past Wednesday, they continued the Cruiserweight Tournament, uh, it's still round-robin style, and it started off with Isaiah Swerve Scott defeating El Hidro de Fantasma in the tournament for Group B. Over on NXT, they continued the tournament with Isaiah Swerve Scott defeating El Hidro de Fantasma in giving him his first loss. So both of them are now tied 1-1 one one in their Pool B in a really good back-and-forth uh, match. Then Candice LeRae defeated Casey Canzario. The Poison Pixie has a new attitude, and it already appears to be paying dividends in the ring. Accompanied by Johnny Gargano, Candice knocked off uh, Casey in a vicious fashion, putting her away with the wicked uh, stepsister, uh, which is basically a surfboard uh, face smash. NXT Tag Team Champion Matt Riddle, along with his current partner, Timothy Thatcher, were doing a little bit of an interview segment uh, talking about holding the titles and that. And Fabian Atchison and Marcel Bartel uh, of Imperium attacked the uh, two. Then NXT Women's Champion Charlotte Flair defeated Mia Yim. Charlotte uh, looked comfortable in her first match since reclaiming her uh, throne on the black and gold brand by defeating Mia Yim with the figure for eight leg lock, but Charlotte wasn't able to celebrate her victory for too long as Io Shirai, who is the current number one contender, confronted Charlotte ahead of their title uh, battle this week. Dexter Loomis beat Shane Thorne. And then in a surprising sort of uh, outcome, Drake Maverick defeated Tony Nese in his uh, tournament matchup for Pool A. So now he has a record of 1-1, one one, but Tony Nese is now 0-2. Maverick is still trying to impress everybody and possibly keep his job, even though he has been released from the And the main event saw North American champion Keith Lee defeat Damian Priest, overcoming a bruised larynx suffered last week at the hands of Damian Priest, Keith Lee overcame the Archer of Infamy in perhaps his gutsiest performance yet. The limitless superstar avoided Priest's attempt once again to use his nightstick, pinning him after a pair of huge spirit bombs. Then over on Friday Night Smackdown, it started off with Dana Bryan talking about the prestige of winning the Money in the Bank ladder match and how it helped him progress his career in WWE when he first won it. He was interrupted by King Corbin and they ended up in a fight with each other. Corbin ended up getting himself disqualified when he was battling Bryan on the outside and grabbed one of the prop ladders and threw it at Dana Bryan. 
they fought back into the ring afterwards, and as Brian was having the advantage, he was attacked by Shinsuke Nakamura and Cesaro, and suffered a beatdown. Sheamus was in action, and he took on Leon Ruff and defeated him very quickly. We saw another part of the Jeff Hardy saga, and of course, Sheamus took exception to it. Jeff Hardy is due back this Friday on SmackDown. You're sure to see Sheamus probably interrupt him in some fashion. Then the women had their last qualifying match to enter into the Money in the Bank, and it was Mandy Rose losing to Carmella with a huge distraction coming from Sonya Deville as she came out and just was on the microphone distracting Mandy and allowed Carmella to hit Mandy from behind, pick up the victory, and then afterwards, Sonya ended up attacking Mandy Rose, even putting her through the steps on the outside of the ring. Miz and Morrison came out for commentary as the New Day lost to the Forgotten Sons. This was actually a clean victory for the Forgotten Sons, and sent a message by the team that they are now in SmackDown wanting to get those titles. They'll actually get a chance to do that at Money in the Bank. It'll be a four-way match involving Miz Morrison, themselves, Lucha House Party, and the Tag Team Champions, The New Day. And the main event saw Otis defeating Dolph Ziggler with the Caterpillar to earn his spot in the men's Money in the Bank ladder match. Hey wrestling fans, join me on the Scumbags Wrestling Podcast. We cover everything from the Ontario Independent Wrestling scene, AEW, WB, and everything in between. We're available on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, and everywhere you get podcasts from. Don't miss the Scumbags Wrestling Podcast. My name is The Muscle, Smash Wrestling's hottest free agent. I toss bodies and wheel hotties, and you're listening to the Scumbags of Wrestling podcast. Taking a look at what's coming up next weekend with Money in the Bank, it's going to be quite the show. We're not sure how much of it's been pre-recorded, what's going to be live, what's not going to be live, where everything's going to be taking part. Yeah, we'll just have to wait and see where this all fits together but it was announced on friday night smackdown this week that both the men's and women's money in the bank ladder matches will be happening at the same time i've been stating this since it was first announced because it only makes sense to have them all go for their uh, respective briefcases at the same time instead of having one group destroy the headquarters and then send another group out and they're fighting through the ruins of what the previous group did. How this is going to look on TV, I'm not overly sure because there's talk from people like Jason Agnew and Dave Meltzer that they're thinking it's going to look like 24-7 championship with a bunch of different little segments throughout the night leading to the final segment being when they all make it to the roof. Now, that's a possibility, or it could just run straight for an hour or whatever movie style uh, that they have planned on doing. 
But either way, this is definitely going to be one of the most unique versions of Money in the Bank in company history. It's been heavily rumored that the Money in the Bank ladder match has already been recorded at WD headquarters, and part of that rumor also included that 74-year-old Vince McMahon demonstrated how to fall off a building. Now, he said in the past that he wouldn't ask his talent to do anything that he wouldn't do, and if that's the case, he definitely proved that one if he was the one who demonstrated falling off the building whether it's from the roof or through one of the windows, we'll have to see. Can only guess what they're going to be doing for the rest of the match if that's one of the spots that we're going to see. But also, who's going to be the one falling like Hans Gruber did in Die Hard? The whole match itself could look like Die Hard for all that matters, so it could be people crawling through the air vents just to make their way to the roof. So... Next Sunday, or this Sunday, for Money in the Bank, should be quite the spectacle. Unfortunately, one person who will not be a part of the Money in the Bank ladder match is going to be Apollo Crews. Even though he qualified for the match itself this past week on Raw, he got hurt by Andrade and has been removed from the match. So that means tonight there's going to be a gauntlet match for the sixth and final spot in the men's side of the Money in the Bank ladder match. There's also been talk that AJ Styles could be part of that gauntlet and could end up winning it and being in the Money in the Bank match. Next week, I'm going to look at the full card and give my predictions on what you're going to end up seeing. So that'll be hours before the actual event happens on the WD network. Looking at the rest of the card though, the five of other men that are in the uh, men's side of the Money in the Bank ladder match include Dana Bryan, Baron Corbin, Rey Mysterio, Alistair Black, and Otis who qualified this past Friday. The women, their field is completed and it has Dana Brooke, Carmella, Lacey Evans, Asuka, Shayna Baszler, and Nia Jax. I'm going to guess that this week also on TV we'll find a way of adding some more matches to the card because currently the other matches include the SmackDown Tag Team titles on the line with the New Day defending against Miz Morrison, Lucha House Party, and the Forgotten Sons in a fatal four-way match. Bailey is also going to be defending her Women's SmackDown Championship against Tamina. Bray Wyatt challenges his former Black Sheep family member Braun Strowman for the Universal title. And Drew McIntyre defends his WWE Championship against Seth Rollins. So there's still a lot of room on the Raw side of the talent roster to get done to this pay-per-view. Since currently there's only going to be what, five participants representing Raw on the men's side? So we'll see what happens with the tag team titles, maybe even the U.S. title. And Money in the Bank goes down this Sunday, May 10th, on the WWE Network. This concludes another episode of the Scumbags Wrestling Podcast, episode number 103. Be sure to catch me, along with Chris Maloney, every Thursday 
on TNT Throwdown, which happens on Facebook and YouTube, usually Thursday nights at 8 p.m. You can also be on the lookout for future episodes of the Fantasy Warfare Tournament this past week on Friday night at seven, 6 o'clock. If you tuned in, you could have seen Chris Maloney, Stephen O'Neill, and myself break down who we thought would win in the best of the best tag team tournament of Ontario Tag Teams. There will be future episodes, but that will happen on Patreon, where if you sign up for the different levels, that money is not going to go into the pockets of Chris, Steve, or myself. It's going to go to a charity. So be sure to look out for more information on how you can be a part of the Patreon, be a part of any of our shows, and join us each and every week on the Scumbags Wrestling Podcast, TNT, Thursday Night Throwdown, and the Fantasy Warfare Tournament. So until next time, have a great week. I'll be back on Sunday with my predictions for Money in the Bank. Granted, I understand it's essentially the same unappreciative crowd full of scumbags from last night. I can't